podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast. Today is Monday. It is the 6th of November. I hope you're all well and had a pleasant weekend. Weather update. Gloomy. Not wet, but gloomy. Uh, Bit of a wild weekend in the Premier League. We'll start off with the early kickoff on Saturday. As Manchester United go to Fulham and sneak out with a 1-0 win, Bruno Fernandes scoring in the 91st minute. A fairly even game between two mid-table teams. Fulham missed some good chances. Onana, to his credit, made the saves he had to make. Made them look a lot more difficult than they needed to be, but he made the saves he needed to make. United did not play well. They looked disjointed. 
They did have a goal disallowed in the first half of Scott McTominay tapping. You could argue that it should have been allowed. The The offside was deemed subjective, which is a bit weird. Uh, so United will claim that they deserve the win overall. And maybe that's fair enough, but they were not impressive by any stretch. But the only thing that really mattered to them was getting the three points. United have been appalling this season. That now means they've won eight and lost eight of their 16 games so far this season, yet to draw in any competition. They go to Copenhagen now on Wednesday. They were outplayed by Copenhagen at Old Trafford, but managed to win through a Harry Maguire goal. After Copenhagen, it's Luton home, then Everton away, and then Galatasaray away. The Galatasaray game is going to be very difficult. If they can win in Copenhagen, though, they give themselves a good opportunity to advance from this uh, Group A in the Champions League. They're currently a point behind Galatasaray, but Galatasaray play Bayern in this next uh, group round. So maybe beat Copenhagen. That'll give you six points. Galatasaray probably lose to Bayern. If United can then get a draw against Galatasaray, that would give them seven points, depending on goal difference then, because in the last round, United faced Bayern, Galatasaray faced Copenhagen. It's still an upward slog for them, but it's possible they get out of that group. They should have been walking through that group and through it, but they've been so poor this season. Um, In the league, obviously, like I said, Fulham next, then Everton, then a trip to Newcastle, then Chelsea home, then Brighton, sorry, then Bournemouth home. Realistically, they should be looking at winning three of those and, and, and potentially four. Like they should be beating Luton and Bournemouth at home without question. They should be beating Everton away. And given how bad Chelsea have been, they should be beating Chelsea at home. Like, if they're not coming out of that with at least 10 points, because I'd expect Newcastle to beat them up at St. James's. But if they don't get 10 points from the next five league games and at least four from the Champions League games, that's going to be really disappointing because it's a favourable enough run. Uh, For Fulham, look, I'm sure when they plan for their season, survival is the goal. They're realistic enough to know they're not going to qualify for Europe. And they probably don't factor in points against the elite teams. Now, up next, they go to Villa. But then it's Wolves at home, which is a winnable game. Then they go to Anfield. Then it's Forest, which is a winnable game. And then it's West Ham at home. Which at the moment looks a winnable game because West Ham are in a poor run of form. And it's a London derby, so Fulham should get themselves up for that. All things considered, they won't be desperately disappointed with with how things are going. They're 15th in the league. They're six points clear of the drop zone. But I think they would have liked to have had a few more points on the board by now based on the performances they've put forward. Uh, United are eighth in the league. They're level of points with Brighton, two behind Newcastle, four behind Villa, 
and six behind Arsenal, who sit fourth. So they'll still have the belief that they can qualify for Champions League, and Ten Hag and his backers will point to the fact that they've won three of their last four in the league, even though, you know, lucky against Fulham beat a very poor Sheffield United team and got lucky against Brentford. Uh, moving on then, Brentford 3, West Ham 2. Uh, Neil Mope opened the scoring. Mohamed Kudus equalised with a spectacular goal about eight minutes later. Then Jared Bowen scores on 26 after Kudus hits the post. A Mavroponis own goal where he denied Nathan Collins a goal but headed into his own net on 55. And then Nathan Collins did get his goal on 69. And Brentford get a really good win because they needed this win. They've turned their season around, but they need to get as many points on the board through this first half as they possibly can. Because if Tony leaves in January, which most people... I think now expect him to do. I can see the second half of the season becoming a bit of a slog if they don't go out in January and replace Tony. There's not enough goals in this team, even though they have got three this weekend. There's just not enough goals there, sustainable goals. You're not going to get an own goal every week. You're not going to get Nathan Collins scoring every week. And Neil Mopé scored for the first time in 14 months. So he's not going to get your goal every week or every two weeks or every three weeks. Uh, For West Ham, it's three straight Premier League defeats on the bounce. Four out of five that they've now lost. They drop into the bottom half, which isn't ideal. After the really good start to the season he made, Ward-Prowse has been desperate the last little while. No Paqueta was obviously a big blow to him. He was suspended. I did like the 4-4-2. And obviously they had no Alvarez, no Alvarez either. I did like the four four two. It was a nice little wrinkle from Moyes, and I wouldn't mind seeing him go with it again, but with Suchek and Alvarez as the deep two. Bowen up front with Antonio, I think, is fine. But I'd like to see Paqueta play right and Kudus left. Mavroponos was unfortunate with the goal. I, other than that, I did think he played quite well. There's more than enough talent in this West Ham team to not let this get them down. I think they're going to be fine, but I think Moyes is going to have some tough decisions to make over certain players. Uh, Manchester City 6, Bournemouth 1. Jeremy Doku was ridiculous in this game. Absolutely ridiculous. A goal and four assists. Uh, Scores the opener on 30. Creates the next for Silva three minutes later. Then his shot hits a kanji on 37. A kanji claiming that goal or being given that goal as a first. Fella knew nothing about it. Uh, then he laid on the goal for Phil Foden, though Foden did, did, had work to do himself. Bernardo Silva's goal is just, it's everything that's good about Bernardo Silva. It, it's just such a beautiful little run, and the dinked finish is, is just spectacular. And Nathan Aki gets the final goal. Luis Sinistera had got one back for Bournemouth when they were 4-0 down. But it was all in vain. City were pretty rampant, to be fair. Um, Scored six, could have scored more. 
Nice to see Oscar Bob getting minutes off the bench. Um, his cross led to Aki's goal. Six goals without Haaland scoring is is a very positive thing for Manchester City. And six goals in a 6-1 win when you can sit Ruben Diaz and Josco Gvardiol on the bench and just give them a complete rest. Also very, very positive for City. Uh, they're currently top of the league. Spurs obviously do have the game in hand, but City have now won three straight after back-to-back defeats. And they just look a completely different team But once Rodri's in there. They've now got the best attack in the league and the best defence in the league, um, which, to be fair, when you've got the most money in the league is and you've got Guardiola, is um, is kind of to be expected. But they, they look like they're starting to round into real form here. Uh, up next for them, they have young boys in the Champions League, then Chelsea away, then Liverpool home, either side of the international break. I'd expect them to win both. Then they play Leipzig, then Spurs home. So the next three games are Chelsea, Liverpool and Spurs, which... On paper, is a very tough run. We'll see what Chelsea turn up. We'll see what Liverpool turn up. And who knows with Spurs? By then, maybe they've fallen off a little bit. It's tough to know. For Bournemouth, they drop back into the bottom three after their brief reprieve, but no one expected them to get anything from this. Up next is Newcastle at home. That's tough. Then they go to Sheffield United, who aren't good, but just got their first win, so could have their tails up a little bit. Then they play Villa home. Villa are very, very good, but they don't travel as well. Then Palace away, then United away, and then Luton at home. So they'll be looking to target Sheffield United and Luton as games to win. And if they could maybe pick up two points elsewhere, if they take eight from 18, that's that's a good, that's a good hole, considering they've got six from a, a possible 33 so far. Uh, moving on then to the next game, which was Sheffield United 2, Wolves 1. This is a desperate result for Wolves, but a great result for Sheffield United. Cameron Archer opened the scoring on 72 minutes with a sensational goal. Bellegarde made it 1-1 on 89 minutes, and it looked like we were heading for a draw. The same clown defending that cost them the penalty against Newcastle, cost them the penalty here in the 100th minute. The ball, it's it's a Sheffield United set piece. The ball bounces for Fabio Silva. Just head it as it bounces. Do anything. Just run into the ball, let it hit you in the chest, push it into a certain direction, and then boot it as far down the pitch as you can. Instead, he tries to wait for it to find the perfect blade of grass to to land on. And from there, makes an absolute hames of it. Allows the Sheffield United player to nip in, get between him and the ball, and then fouls him. Brainless. Same thing that happened with Wang up at, or against Newcastle. Brainless, brainless defending. Um, which isn't always that surprising from forward players, but Jesus Christ, like a bit of common sense here, lads. Um, Oliver Norwood stepped up and that is undeniably one of the best penalties I've ever seen. He didn't just put it in the net. He put it in the net. 
He absolutely leathered that thing as hard as he could into the top corner. He could have put five goalkeepers in there and they weren't saving it. The only way he was missing was if it hit the crossbar. It was the only way he was missing. No goalkeeper saving that. It was ridiculous. He absolutely leathered it into the top corner. Sensational. Great stuff. Great win for Sheffield United. Desperate result for Wolves, who, you know, they've been pretty good this season. Gary O'Neill's gotten a lot of plaudits. You can't be going and losing to a team that had one point from 10 games. You just can't. Um, Up next for Wolves, who I believe are, yeah, 14th in the league, uh, level on points with Chelsea and Fulham. Wolves have Spurs at home, then the international break, then they go to Fulham, then they go to Arsenal, then they get Burnley and Forest at home. Those are must-win games to them. Then they go to West Ham, and they've actually got three away games in a row there. West Ham, no, sorry, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, West Ham, then they play Chelsea home, then they play Brentford away. Um, Chelsea home is a winnable game for them. For the Blades, I mean, your first win is always going to be a confidence boost. The issue is, can you follow it up? Unfortunately for them, they go to Brighton next, and that's going to be really tough. Then they have Bournemouth home, then Burnley away. Then they welcome Liverpool. Then they get Brentford home. Bournemouth and Burnley are winnable games. Because all of those teams are about the same level of bad right now. I I think Bournemouth have the best squad by a bit of a distance. They do have key injuries that are hurting them. And if Sheffield United can use that Bramall Lane advantage, that could be a win. They could go to Burnley and win because everybody's winning at Burnley these days. And... Um, that Brentford game is winnable as well. Now, they're not going to win three of the next four. They're just not good enough to do that. But they could maybe win two of them and get a draw. And even if then they got tonked by Liverpool, they took seven points in the next 12. It would really help. It would be a massive help. Uh, speaking of Burnley, Burnley nil, Crystal Palace 2. Burnley had... of the ball, 17 shots, 5 on target. Palace had 32% of the ball, 4 shots, 3 on target. This was the definition of a smash and grab. Burnley absolutely battered Palace for the majority of this game. And yet, Palace took their chances while Burnley wasted so many good opportunities in that game. So many good opportunities through a combination of bad decision-making and bad finishing. Now, they were unfortunate with the first goal. Bayer just makes a really poor mistake. AU gets in and squares it for Schlupp. He taps in at the back post. The second goal is, again, it's just bad. It's just bad. It's just bad. Darrow Shea doesn't clear his lines properly. Ball works its way back into the box. And Eze just lays it off, really casual. And Tyreek Mitchell strolls onto it and slots it into the bottom corner. 94th minute. 
game over. Good win for Palace. And I did say this was one of the ones that Hodgie would have would have targeted. I think he'll also have targeted the next two. Uh, and they've got a bit of a favourable run here. They've got Everton home, Luton away, West Ham away, but they've gotten good results against away to West Ham in the past. And then Bournemouth home. They'll be looking to win three of them. Imagine if Roy Hodgson won four out of five games. Henry Winter would be calling for knighthoods and the like. Uh, the West Ham one will be tough. After Bournemouth, they play Liverpool at home and then City away. Both going to be very, very tough. But the next few games are where they can pick up some valuable points. They're into the top half. They're 10th, um, aided and abetted by West Ham's poor run. But they've ended their own poor run as well. They've lost back-to-back games. All things considered, they're going to be very happy with how things have gone so far, considering the lack of Elise so far this season and Eze missed a ch- uh, chunk of the year. And obviously, Matthias Franke has missed a chunk of the year too. So I definitely think we'll see Palace improve as the season goes on and they start to get some players back. I really wish they'd go and buy a right back. Joel Ward and Nathaniel Klein, this platoon thing they're doing. just All the good Burnley moves came down that side. All of them. It needs to be addressed. Um, for Burnley, it obviously isn't pretty. Uh, their home record is the worst start to a Premier League season in history. Uh, they lost at home to City. They lost at home to Burnley. They lost at home to Spurs. They lost at home to United. They lost at home to Chelsea. And now they've lost at home to Crystal Palace. They've lost every home game. Now, with that being said, nobody expected them to get anything against City or Villa or Spurs. In general, you wouldn't expect them to get anything against United or Chelsea. Now, neither of those teams are particularly good this year. But again, when you're looking at the season in advance, you're, you're not really expecting them to take anything. It's very unfortunate that they've had to play four of the, the big six uh, in their home games. And the other two were Villa, who are excellent and one of the three best, three or four best teams in the country over the last 12 months. And then Crystal Palace and Roy Hodgson is just the master of smash and grab. Uh, up next for them, they go to Arsenal. You, you don't expect anything there. Then they play West Ham at home and Sheffield United at home in back-to-back games. They need to win one of them. They absolutely need to win one of them. They need to win a home game and get this bad run over. Then it's back-to-back away games against Wolves and Brighton. Then they're home to Everton. Ideally, you want to win two of these next three home games. Um, Sheffield United and Everton would seem like the two, but then you just Everton could turn up and be really good on the day because they're kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team. Burnley have four points. Defensively, they're desperate and they can't score goals. They spent all that money on wingers and didn't buy a pure number nine or a centre-back that can organise a defence. I think Company and Heckenbottom are probably the two most at-threat managers right now. Obviously, Iraola will be under pressure as well because his side are in the bottom three and they've spent quite a bit of money. 
But at least when you watch Bournemouth play, there's a recognisable way of playing. It's not always there with Burnley. It's not always there with Sheffield United. Um, but, you know, it, it is it is what it is. Uh, Everton won. Brighton won. Yet more Ashley Young shenanigans. Uh, Michael Enkel put Everton one up on seven minutes. A deflected shot. Found it off Lewis Dunk, found its way past the goalkeeper. Lewis Dunk thought he'd equalised with what would have been one of the goals of the season, but it was ruled out for offside. Uh, 84th minute, Matoma puts in a fairly poor cross. Ashley Young hangs a leg out. It hits him on the thigh. It loops in the air, but not that high. And, you know, it goes down as an Ashley Young own goal, but like a goalkeeper with normal length arms catches that fairly comfortably. Might not have even needed to jump, you know, if you had a goalkeeper with regulation length arms as opposed to a T-Rex. Um, it's really bad from Pickford. Really, really bad from Pickford. And Young, like, Young's a liability, but that goal for me is on Pickford. Uh, Everton played quite well in this game. Uh, 20% of the ball, but managed 10 shots in the game. The style of football is not very attractive. It's Sean Dyche, but, you know, it's effective. And it was effective in this game. And I thought Verbruggen made a couple of decent saves. They took advantage of the fact that Van Heck just isn't a Premier League caliber centre-back. Uh, I'm not really sure why Igor didn't start. That that confused me. I didn't really understand why Milner and Lalana played in the midfield three with Billy Gilmore. Now, Milner and and Gross were switching and swapping left-back, left-side-of-the-midfield kind of roles, but it was all very, very ugly. And you wouldn't want to see too much more of that. Uh, Oh, Everton's next few games. Everton, to be fair to them, now find themselves in, in 16th and have taken seven points from the last 12 available, which is a, a good turnaround for them. Uh, should they get this 12-point deduction, they'll find themselves five points off Sheffield United and, and Burnley and seven points off safety because their goal difference would have them above both Luton and Bournemouth. Um, a goal difference of minus four when you're that bad is is pretty good at this stage of the season. It's a, it's a pretty big help. You know, the teams below them, minus 11, minus 18, minus 19, minus 21... The teams above them, minus eight, minus five. It's not it's not good in general sense, but it's you know, it's the same as Manchester United. Them and United are both minus four goal difference. Uh next for the Ev. They go to Crystal Palace, then they get United at home, then they go to Forest, then they get Newcastle at home, then they get Chelsea at home. It's a difficult enough run. It's a difficult enough run. They have a horrible run coming over Christmas and the New Year. Spurs away, City home, Wolves away, Villa home. Uh, Then they play Fulham away. Then they get Spurs and City again as the schedule flips around. So every point is is hugely welcome at the moment for Everton. Uh, For Brighton, no wins in the last five. It's a little bit of a concern. No wins in the last five in the league. 
They did beat Ajax, obviously, in the Europa League, but... Walloped by Villa, drew at Liverpool, beaten by City, drew at Fulham, which was disappointing, and now a draw whatever. They had that great start, and now they just seem to be evening out a bit. I think Europa League is starting to take its toll on some of the squad, and I think the Zerbi's making some poor decisions as well. Uh, next for them... Uh, they play Ajax in midweek. Then they have Sheffield United at home, Forest away, both very winnable. They go to Chelsea. Again, that's a winnable game for them. That's after the AEK Athens uh, European game. Then Brentford home, then Burnley home. Like It's five winnable league games in a row. They're unlikely to win all five, but if they could win the next two, draw at Chelsea and then win the two after that, That'd be a really, really good outcome for them. The European games are, are are complicating things though, because they don't have the the biggest of squads and they have some injury issues at the moment. The Slupin is such a massive blow for them. Um moving on then to the to the late kickoff on Saturday. Newcastle won. Arsenal nil, Anthony Gordon with the only goal of the game on 64 minutes and lots and lots of controversy around this goal. Arsenal failed to clear the lines. Willock, I think it's Willock, keeps the ball in play. It looks out of play because the camera angle isn't right above the ball. But we've seen in the past, it's, it's not about what the camera angle shows you. You've got to consider the shape of the ball. Just because the bottom of the ball that's touching the grass is not touching the line doesn't mean that part of the sphere is not hanging over the line. Cross comes in. This is where Arsenal have a right, a slight right to be aggrieved. Jolington definitely fouls Gabriel. Definitely fouls him. Clambers all over him almost shoves his head down. The ball kind of hits the two of them and just bounces to Gordon, who finishes. Arsenal are rightly aggrieved over that goal. It should have been disallowed for that foul. However, Mikel Mikel Arteta is in no position to rant and rave about officials because he's the guy who when Liverpool were wrongly denied a goal that wasn't subjective, this was at least subjective. The Diaz goal at Spurs was not subjective. And Arteta just said, oh, well, mistakes happen. It's part of the game. Well, there you go, Mikel. Mistakes happen. They're part of the game. Are we all happy now? And, you know, Arsenal fans are saying, oh, well, we were denied a point here. That's fine. You were gifted two points at home to United. When Declan Rice's goal was allowed to stand, despite a very clear foul by Gabriel on Johnny Evans just seconds beforehand. So, in the aggregate, you're still one point up based on refereeing decisions. There's no club that likes to feel sorry for themselves quite as much as Arsenal. This is a big win for Newcastle. Uh, they go to Dortmund in the week. Then they've got Bournemouth away, 
Chelsea home, away to PSG, home to United, away to Everton, away to Spurs. Tough Premier League run made all that more difficult by those two away trips in the Champions League. And even after Spurs, they've still got Milan at home in the Champions League before they face Newcastle. They've also got, sorry, before they face Fulham in Newcastle. But they've also got a Chelsea away trip after all of this in the Carabao Cup. So they've got some injuries. They're missing Isak. They're missing Botman. Tonali suspended. There's a couple of others out. A couple more injuries and things may start to wobble again for this team. Uh, they're six in the league. They're four points off the top four, which is impressive after that weird start they had where they lost, what, three games out of five or something? Three games out of four? Um, won the first, I think, and then lost three out of four. They're a good team. Like, they just are a good team. They're good going forward. They're strong defensively. They'll get even stronger defensively once Botman is back. Hopefully that one doesn't drag on too much longer because he's so important to them. Uh, For Arsenal, they are fourth in the league now. uh, Three points off top. That's their unbeaten run gone in the Premier League, their unbeaten record. Spurs now the only unbeaten team and they'll obviously play tonight. Uh, They're behind Liverpool. Same games played, same wins, same draws, same losses, same goal difference. Liverpool have scored one more. Arsenal have conceded one, one less. I would I would say Liverpool have had a slightly tougher start, even though City played or Arsenal played City. I think Liverpool have had a slightly tougher start the way the schedule worked. But all things considered, I think the two teams are fairly evenly meet, uh, matched, which is a, a worry for Arsenal. Because Arsenal are six hundred million into this rebuild. Liverpool are only a hundred million or hundred and twenty million into theirs. Liverpool are at phase one of their rebuild. Arsenal should be pretty close to built and they don't look anything like a title winner. They don't look anything close to it. The defence is a mess. Now, the goal, the, the goals against record is pretty good, but there's just so many individual errors. Uh, the midfield is very confusing. Thomas Partey is a big, big loss for them in midfield. And up front, I mean, they have the pieces. Keeping them fit's a bit of an issue. That's what they've got to work on. They've got to work on getting Gabriel Jesus fit and then managing him properly to keep him fit. And Mikel Arteta needs to stop crying. Uh, Nottingham Forest 2, Aston Villa 0 in the early kickoff on Sunday, early, twelve uh, 2 o'clock. Ola Eina after five minutes. Good work down the left involving Alanga and Dominguez. Ball comes across. Eina strides onto it. 20 yards out and just side foot passes it right into the bottom corner. Really well taken goal. Well deserved goal as well because Forrest had started the game well. Villa came into the game and started to look quite strong, dominating possession, creating some chances. Forrest had made a change in goal. Vlacodemos came in. Vlacodemos? I think it's Vlacodemos. Came in, made a couple of good saves. The defence looked more cohesive with Aina and Tafalo as fullbacks, Nikata and Murillo as centre-backs. A little bit of news that they might be getting a new centre-back in January. We can talk about that after the break. 
Sanger, Mangal and Dominguez, the strong midfield. They've still got the Neo to come into that midfield as well. He came off the bench. He's back from injury. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how he looks with Dominguez and Sanger. I think him and Mangala will compete for a spot, or maybe maybe all four will play in some games. Uh, Mangala got the second goal. It's a rough one on Emmy Martinez. It's it's a good shot. What happens is Martinez dives and gets too much of a hand on it. He actually gets too forceful a fist behind it. If he just flicks it, it goes over the bar. If he just gets fingertips to it, it goes over the bar around the post. It almost hits him full on the wrist and it bounces down and spins in. It's very unfortunate. But I saw it classed as a howler. I I don't think it's a howler. It reminded me of years back, Simon Mignolet at the Etihad against City for Liverpool. Aguero had a shot. And again, Mignolet just got too firm of a hand on it. And instead of sending it over the bar with the pace on it, actually took all the pace off it. And the ball dropped behind him and went into the net. Um, Villa had a couple of opportunities but I think the, the keeper had a, a very strong debut I think it was a change that needed to be made to be yeah a change that needed to be made I think Matt Turner had a bit of a bit of a rough time but a good win for a great win for Forrest a great win Villa came in as the third best team in the country over 37 games 74 points from 37 games was an outstanding record, especially considering what they had before that. As it is, 30, 74 from 38 is still a great record for Villa. It's still top four form over an entire season's worth of games. And it's it's early in Emery's era, at his tenure at, at Villa. You know, a lot of this team is the team he inherited. This isn't the finished product. I think he's probably three to four players away from what he'll view as the finished product. And that's promising for Villa. Uh, Up next for Forrest then, West Ham away, Brighton home, Everton home, Fulham away, Wolves away. Some tough games, but I think they'll be confident they can pick up some points there. The issue for them is they are dreadful away. Three of those games are away. So they're going to have to to find a way to scrounge points away from home and obviously continue to maximise their strong home advantage. Uh, for Villa, Alkmaar in the Conference League on Thursday, then Fulham home, Spurs away. I think Spurs will beat them. Villa are not travelling all that well at the moment. Uh, then Leslie Warsaw in the Europa League, then away to Bournemouth, then home to City, 6th of December, then home to Arsenal, 9th of December. I'm really looking forward to those two games. I think they'll win one of them. I don't know which one it'll be, though. Even though City's a tougher game, it wouldn't surprise me if that's the one they won. They could well win both. I don't think they will. But four points wouldn't shock me at all. Two draws wouldn't shock me at all. But I think they'll win one of them. Um, Villa are fifth, which is, I think, they did did a bit of hand-off for that at the start of the season, especially if you told them 
that Ramsey was going to miss pretty much the entire season so far. They're two points off Liverpool and and Arsenal, despite having lost three times this season. That's pretty impressive. The scoring goals, they need to start conceding less. In the top half, you've only got Brighton who've conceded more. They've conceded the same number as United. You want to get that number down. Last game then, Luton won, Liverpool nil. Um, Liverpool dominated the game, should have scored four, were denied what I thought was a fairly obvious penalty for a foul on Van Dijk. There was a penalty incident in the first half that I thought should have gone their way. Salah missed two sitters. Nunes missed two sitters. They combined to miss a sitter each in the one action. A gorgeous cross from Alexander-Arnold. Salah went ahead for goal, completely missed time the header and kind of screwed it across the face of the, bo- face of the box and uh, face of the goal even. And Nunes steps onto it and tries to side foot it. And in truth, he just kind of needed to run on and let it hit him. And it probably would have just careened into the net. Um, Tahith Chong scored on a counter-attack on 80 minutes for Luton to give them the lead. And then Luis Diaz equalised on 95 minutes coming off the bench to get on the end of a cross from another sub, Harvey Elliott, kind of headed it onto his shoulder and over the keeper. Great moment for Diaz, great moment for humanity. Not so great was the humanity of the Luton fans who really did let themselves down, really and truly let themselves down. It was a poor, very poor representation uh, of uh, of Bedford as a greater county, but Luton as a place, it was probably an accurate representation in some ways. Um, you know, Tommy Robinson, Andrew Tate, a place that incubates those type of people? Maybe not for me. Um, Desperate result for Liverpool. Desperate. Everyone else is going to beat Luton home and away. All the top teams. That's really, really poor. They were poor in general, though. I mean, they should have won the game comfortably, but they were poor. Uh, They play away to Toulouse on Thursday night. If Mo Salah or Dominic Sabozlai see the field, I will go hunting for Jurgen Klopp because he's trying to run those two lads into the ground. Give them a rest, Jurgen. Just just a rest for a, a couple of games. You know, don't play them in that one. Try and get the job done against Brentford and get them off. And then obviously the international garbage starts. But, you know, let's not overplay them anymore. Uh, then, yeah, Brentford home. Then City away after the international break. Of course, it's a 12.30 kickoff. Then they go and play Lask at home. Then Fulham home. Away to Sheffield United and away to Crystal Palace. Uh, I think they'll lose to City. They should win the other four league games. They should win both Europa League games. They only need four points to be guaranteed top spot. So beat to lose and then the rest takes care of itself, really. Uh, For Luton, it's a great point. Um, And they, they showed good fighting spirit. They'll need more of that when they go to Manchester United in the next game. Then they're home to Palace away to Brentford, home to Arsenal and home to City. Both Arsenal and City will go there and win. The Palace and Brentford games are where they need to target some points. Um, They are out of the bottom three. They're 17th. 
But the level and points of Bournemouth only outside on goal difference, and we'll see how long that holds up. They are certainly better defensively than Bournemouth, but uh, they don't they don't really represent much of a goal threat. Now they've scored more goals than Bournemouth, but Bournemouth just keep missing big chances. Or, you know, the final ball lets them down. Bournemouth's issues are maybe a lack of reps playing this style of football, maybe a lack of confidence in certain areas. Luton's issue is they play football from the 1980s. If you enjoy watching it, so be it. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will do the news and gossip. See you then. Right, welcome back. So we did have a huge non-Premier League game taking place in the football world over the weekend. I'm sure many of you did watch it. Fluminense beat Boca Juniors by two goals to one. Cano opened the scoring on 36 minutes, a nicely worked goal by Fluminense. Advan Kula equalised on 72 minutes, the right back, cutting in field on his left foot. He, he's been one of Boca's most potent goal threats through this run. That was 72 minutes. John Kennedy, what a wonderful name for Brazilian to have. John Kennedy equal. Uh, sorry, put Fluminense back in front in extra time. Really well-worked goal. Brilliant finish. And then he gets a second yellow card for a celebration. He'd been booked. He'd come on as a sub, got booked, scores his goal, and then gets himself sent off. Now, I say gets himself sent off. I just think the referee had a serious case of main character syndrome in this one. Uh, Frank Fabra was sent off in stoppage time at the end of the first half of extra time for for slapping uh, Fluminense centre-back Nino. The right decision. The Kennedy one is the wrong decision. Um, Bocca couldn't find an equaliser. They just look tired. They look poorly coached. I, I I said it on Friday. I don't quite know how this gentleman is the manager of Boca Juniors, Mr. Almiron. He, he doesn't have the track record at all to manage a club like this. They've been dreadful domestically. You know, they currently sit in the Argentine Premiership, a Premier Division in 11th in their pool. Now, they do have one game in hand. Should they win that, the highest they can go is 8th. But that would be basically, that would have them on 14 points. Of the 28 teams who take part in the Argentine Premier Division and are split into these two groups, you've only got... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Twelve teams with less uh, than 14 points and the goal difference they would have. Actually, sorry, you've got 11 teams. Unless they were to win 3-0, there's only 11 teams that would be below them overall out of 28. So you're talking about a team that's the 16th or 17th best team in Argentina this season. That's desperate. Absolute for Boca Juniors, that is absolutely unacceptable. And they're in the easier side of this uh competition as well. Like the other group, Group A, has River Plate, Independiente, and Huracan, who are the three best teams in Argentina right now. 
like in their group, you've got Central Cordoba, Belgrano, Racing Club. I mean, it's it's not a it's not a strong group at all, and they're still struggling. Uh, likewise, Fluminense are not the best and brightest that Brazil has to offer us. Um, currently sitting eighth in the Brazilian Serie A. If they win their game in hand, they will stay eighth. These are two average teams. The game itself, from a footballing point of view, was very average. From a drama and spectacle point of view, it was magnificent. It was absolutely magnificent. That is, without question, the best stadium in world football, the Maracana. It is the best stadium in world football. It is, first and foremost, enormous, which is great and plays a huge part in it. But when you look at the atmosphere, the history, the visual, it's just sensational. Absolutely sensational. Um, And like I said, the game, there was great drama in it. There was loads of needle in it. It felt like it was about to overflow into sheer violence at certain points. Some of the some of the tackles that were allowed in that game, like one, two, three, three yellows and a red for Baca. One, two, three, five yellows, including that second yellow for John Kennedy. That game should have had at least fifteen yellow cards and probably at least one more red card. And in in English football or European football. There's probably at least one other red card, maybe two others. Some of the tackles were just outrageous, but they were great. Like it's it's football played the right way. It's football played as a physical contact sport. Yes, it sometimes borders into violence, but that's fine. That's a, that's fine with me. The drama was great. And look, for Fluminense to win this competition for the first time in their history, it's it's a tremendous achievement. And Flamengo won it last year and have lauded it over them. Now that lauded it over them, now they can do the same. So congrats to them. Nino, the centre back who was slapped, uh, looks like he will join Nottingham Forest in January. At uh, twenty six years of age, he'll turn twenty seven. In April, not capped by Brazil, which is a bit of a surprise because he is a good defender. Um, His real strength is his organization. And I think that's where he will help Forrest. Now, he hasn't necessarily needed to always show it at Fluminense because of who he's had in the team with them. That's a properly old team. Like Xavier, the right back. 33 years of age. The goalkeeper uh, is, I think, 43, Fabio? Yes, 43 years of age. Mello, who I assume will retire at the end of this season, is 40. Marcelo at left back is 35. Then in midfield... Andre and, and Martinelli are, are quite young, but Ganzo is 34. Arias, I think, is 24, 25. Arias is 26. 
the left winger, Kano, is 34. And then Kano, who started up front, I think is 33. He's 35. So there are four players in that team under the age of 33. Four. One's 26. One's, well, two are 26 and two are 22. And on all the rest are 33 and older. That's such an unusual thing. And does kind of speak to... Because, I mean, all those players are well past their best. Marcelo's a shell of himself. Ganzo's not the same player he once was. Mello was a dynamic wrecker of a midfielder. Now he's a sluggish centre-back. They're going to face some tough times in the coming years because Andre will leave in January. Arias probably leaves in January. Martinelli might go. And then what? Like all those older, and Nino's leaving, and all those older players are going to retire. Fabio, Xavier, Melo, Marcelo, Keno, Ganzo, and Cano. They'll all retire in the next two to three years, you'd imagine. And they're going to have to replace all of them with no money to replace them because the money from Andre and Martinelli and Arios will have to replace them and, you know, and then supplement everything else. It's going to be tough. It's going to be really, really tough. But congrats to Fluminense. And if Nino does end up at Forest, then congrats to him. Marcus Rashford wants malicious rumours about his future to stop. Um, <clears throat> he missed out at the weekend. due to an injury, but that came the week after he was criticised by the manager after he went out to celebrate his birthday just after the 3-0 defeat to City. Uh, But Rashford has asked the United stand, which is obviously Mark Goldbridge's um, nonsensical channel, to stop spreading malicious rumours. So, good for him. Uh, Luis Diaz ELN kidnappers call for security guarantees before father's release. The rebel group holding Luis Diaz's father hostage has demanded security guarantees before his release. The National Liberation Army, known as the ELN, said ongoing military and police search will delay the release and increase the risks. Luis Manuel Diaz was kidnapped at gunpoint along with his wife on the 28th of October. Um, Diaz is calling the kidnappers to free his father immediately and end a painful wait. His mother was abandoned in a car after the kidnapping as police closed in, but his father was taken hostage. Uh, we're very, very hopeful that all of this ends in a, you know, a positive resolution. Um, where are we? Oh, yeah. There's a piece on the BBC website where they're suggesting that Ross Barkley might be the um, the signing of the summer, which, you know, unbelievably bizarre claim uh, by Matt, the Luton fan.
Some strange views from both sets of fans, actually, to be fair on that one. Anyway, not to worry. On to the gossip. We have three days worth to get ourselves through. So we'll start off with Saturdays. Uh, Here we go. Oh, goodness. There's Phil Neville rumors. That's always good. Uh, Portland Timbers are in advanced talks to hire Phil Neville as their next head coach. Did they not see how badly he did with Inter Miami? Were, were Portland Timbers asleep during this tenure in which he lost 42 of 90 games despite the club finagling their financials? Prospective new Manchester United investor Sir Jim Ratcliffe wants to replace Eric Ten Hag with Roberto De Zerbi. It's from Football Insider, so you can just in it, just deem it as crap. Uh, several Saudi clubs, including Al Nazir, are keen on signing French centre-back Raphael Varane. You know, I, I think Varane and Casemiro will both be playing in Saudi Arabia within the next 12 months. The Saudi League is the new out clause for all of these clubs that recruit really badly and waste money on older players give them ridiculous contracts. Previously, you just have to eat that contract and pay it out for however many years. Now, these clubs are going to have this escape of being able to just ship them off to Saudi. Uh, Newcastle are interested in Tayan Miners and Radu Dragazin. Dragazin's good, Miners is good, but Miners will be an awful fit for Newcastle. AC Milan are looking at Arsenal's Polish defender Jakob Kior and English defender Lloyd Kelly. So they're looking for a left-footed centre-back. Nice have told Jean-Claire Tadebo they are willing to sell him at the end of the season. Manchester United, Arsenal, Tottenham, Newcastle, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, Bayer Leverkusen, AC Milan and Atalanta are all said to be interested. Um, he is outstanding. He is in incredible form right now. Inter Miami have agreed a deal with Gremio and Uruguay striker Luis Suarez, where he will be reunited with Lionel Messi, Sergio Busquets and Jordi Alba. Thiago Alcantara is expected to leave Liverpool when his contract expires at the end of the season. That is not news to anybody. Manchester City want to sign Manchester United's 18-year-old English midfielder, Kobe Manu. Uh, he does look a hell of a talent, but I think he'd be better off staying... Actually, I to be fair, he'd be better off not being at any either Manchester club. United, because it's just a horrendous place for players to develop right now. And City, because, well, they're loaded with players and young players generally don't make the grade there. Um, City, apparent, or United, apparently, are relaxed about City's interest. Ange Postacoglu says the January transfer window is an important one and wants Tottenham to get any business done as early as possible once it opens. Thomas Tuchel has played down a move for the club's former centre-back, Jerome Boateng, after Matthias De Ligt suffered a knee ligament injury. Tough blow for De Ligt, big blow for Bayern. Jerome Boateng is not the answer. He is, he is, he's been garbage for a few years now. Like, it's just not a sensible signing at all. He'll come back, he'll play two games, do well, People say, oh, it's a great signing. And then he'll be garbage for the rest of it. And people will be like, oh, okay. That's why nobody signed him in the summer. Uh, moving on then to Sunday's gossip. 
Manchester United are willing to swap to offer Anthony in a swap deal for Gabriel Barbosa, better known as Gabby Goal. Um, this is one of the sillier rumors going around that look, Gabby Goal has been in Europe and he was no Gabby Goals, he was just poor. He was poor at Inter. He was poor at Benfica. He's great in Brazil. He should stay in Brazil. Like he is lethal in that league and dreadful outside him. At Santos, 21 and 56, 21 and 56. Bear in mind, at that point, he was 18 and 19 years of age. Then he scores 12 and 29, and then he joins Inter. And he scores one goal in 10 games in his time there. He goes on loan to Benfica for a season, plays five games, scores once. Then he goes back to Santos on loan, 27 in 53. Then he joins Flamengo on loan, 43 in 59. Then joins them permanently, 27 in 43. 34 and 41, 29 and 63, 20 and 55. He is great in Brazil. He has helped Flamengo win two Copa Libertadores. He's helped them win two league titles, bunch of cups. Stay in Brazil. That's the league for you. Europe is not for you. And that is a laughable suggestion. Anthony, as bad as he's been, they couldn't take the loss on value. Liverpool are interested in signing Florian Verts. I'd love it to be true. I just can't bring myself to believe it. I don't really see that they would have a need for him. They've got other needs that need to be addressed before you upgrade a position where you've already got someone good. Um, Tottenham and Juventus are targeting Calvin Phillips. I, I doubt the Spurs part of it. Real Madrid will chase Jamal Musiala if they're able, unable to sign Kylian Mbappe. That makes no sense at all. They're totally different players. One is a forward who scores goals. One is an attacking midfielder who can score goals, but primarily creates goals. Ideally, you'd want to sign both of them. Madrid are also nearing a move for Alfonso Davies. I don't know what nearing a move means. They haven't made a bid. They haven't agreed personal terms. So in what way are they nearing a move? Are they nearing making a bid? How do you know that? Argentina forward Lionel Messi has ruled out a move back to Barcelona following a low move back to Barcelona following the conclusion of the MLS season. I think he will go back to Barca in a year or two, maybe two years when the stadium is done. I think he'll go back there, play one season, and then he'll either retire or he might go back to Argentina. Depends how he feels. Juventus want to sign Lloyd Kelly. Lloyd Kelly is a player who struggles to get a regular start for Bournemouth and apparently has Juventus and AC Milan. I think he's got a great agent. He's not a bad player by any stretch. Uh, Manchester City and West Ham are among a number of clubs who are monitoring French left-back Quinton Merlin of Nantes, a very, very talented young player. Definitely more wing-back than full-back. Marouane Fellaini is a free agent after leaving Shandong Taishan in China. Fair play. Ollie Watkins has become the top earner at Villa Park after signing a contract worth 150 grand a week. 
I'd be surprised if it's that high, but if it is, then that's a really big sign of intent by Villa. A really big statement of intent. And they should absolutely go and sign Ivan Tony. Because that kind of money will get you, Tony, if you're willing to pay those wages. They can afford the fee. Tony and Watkins up front would be devastating. And then Diaby off one wing, Ramsey off the other, Kamara and Louise as a double pivot. That's really strong. Really, really strong. And then McGinn for depth, Saniolo for depth, Duran for depth, Bailey for depth. That's That could be really, really good. <clears throat> uh, that's all from Sunday. So on to Monday's gossip then. Uh, Arsenal are ready to offer Ben White a, substanti- a substantial pay rise as they look to tie him down to a new and improved contract. Liverpool and West Ham are both looking at a move for Petr Zielinski. West Ham might be Liverpool, aren't uh, The Reds have also entered the race for Florian Verts. So there, there it is now from two different places. Luton are still hopeful of tying up a move for Ecuadorian midfielder Oscar Zambrano. Okay. Real Madrid are unlikely to sign any new players in January. That makes sense. They're trying to keep their powder dry for a big summer. Spanish defenders Marcus Alonso and Sergi, Ser, Ser, Sergi, uh, Sergi Roberto will not be offered new contracts by Barcelona. Al Etifak manager Steven Gerrard has hinted his team will raid European clubs once again in January for talents. What talents did you sign? Jamari Gray. PSG wanted rid of Wijnaldum. Dembele was on a free. Liverpool couldn't wait to be rid of Henderson. Who did you raid? And and by the way, they, they do need to start upgrading further. Maybe they, they see Jack Henry as one that they raided. They're seventh in a very poor league in which there are only four good teams. They should be very comfortably in fifth, and they're not. They've won one of their last five. In their last match, they drew with Al-Rayed. They had 19 shots. Al-Rayed had two. They had five on target. Al-Rayed had none, and they still couldn't win. Um, less than ideal, I would say. Less than ideal. Now, Dembele was injured, but still. Uh, Barcelona are believed to be concerned about Clement Langley's situation at Aston Villa. With the twenty-eight-year-old yet to make a Premiership, a Premier Premiership, I always call it Premiership, Premier League appearances because he's not very good. Villa signed him as a panic because Mings got injured. Real Madrid hope the friendships that Vinicius Junior has ha, has with fellow stars could be key to securing Alfonso Davies and Kylian Mbappe. Okay, fair enough. Burnley are interested in Crescencio Somerville, but Leeds are not willing to let the Dutchman leave. Burnley less than 25 million. Stop signing wingers. You've got enough wingers. Samir Nasri has advised Mbappe to stay in France instead of heading to Madrid next summer. I don't think Samir Nasri is the type of person you should ever be taking any kind of career advice off or any kind of advice in any way off. Just no. Atletico Madrid head coach Diego Simeone is close to securing a contract extension with the La Liga club until at least 2027. I'm I'm stunned. I am stunned that he's 
I thought he was done at the end of last season. I thought this would be the last year. But he, he seems to have been re-energized. So fair play. Right, folks, that'll do. I will speak to you all tomorrow. Uh, take care of yourselves. Have a pleasant evening. And don't do anything silly. Enjoy tonight. We have a big game. Tottenham versus Chelsea in the Premier League. Should be a good one. See you tomorrow. Network. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Parts.